If you humble yourself before God, you can avoid judgment. Welcome to Uncaged Bible Study. We hope our name gives it away as we are looking to unleash God's Word in its entirety from beginning to end and unlock the power within the pages of Scripture. We aim to restore the authority of God's Word in a world that has lost its understanding of doctrinal truths, as well as shed a light on how from the first page to the last page, the Bible is pointing us towards Messiah, our Savior, Jesus. So we hope you enjoy the Bible study today. And if you did, follow us or share the podcast to help us spread the word around the globe. And if you leave us a five-star review, that's a great way to let us know that you say amen and are impacted by what you've heard. So thank you for joining us on this journey. And in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the Bible is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Let's unlock the cage together. Father God, thank you again for uh, the opportunity to gather together. Thank you for being able to open up your word uh, and for the lessons that are inside of it. God, I pray that we can open our minds and ears and hearts to what you have to teach us tonight. Uh, And just thank you for the ability to gather as a family uh, and to learn more about who you are and what you've got for us. Bless this evening as we... uh, Spend our time focusing on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we are picking up in in chapter 21, and a lot has happened. King Ahab is just not good at anything. He's just a bad guy. King Ahab has failed to listen to God on, on numerous occasions in most recently for what we read through was this war with Syria and God even allowed him to be saved from this overwhelming army. God even made sure that it was impossible for them to understand anything, but this was a victory that was given to them by God, by how much they were outnumbered by the Syrian army. Yet when all was said and done, He didn't follow through and defeat the enemy at the end. Instead, he made a a peace treaty with the king of Syria, and everything kind of went downhill from there. And of course, he's upset and whining. Actually, the last verse of, of chapter 20 is, So the king of Israel, Ahab, went to his house sullen and displeased and came to Samaria. You're going to see this is kind of a theme with him as we go through the next chapter. It says, and it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Now, here's the interesting thing. Now, Samaria is actually a city that Ahab built and put a palace in so that he could rule, and it became the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. But he had still had a palace from before Samaria was built in the Jezreel Valley, and apparently he's staying there. And this guy Naboth was his neighbor. He said, so Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it's near to my house. And for it, I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. So all of this seems 
very sensible. We'll explain why it's not in a little bit. But it just, it seems fairly practical. The king lives next door to this land. He wants to build a vegetable garden and own this land. And he makes a pretty sensible offer, you would think, in today's day and age. I will offer you payment for your, for that land or even give you a better piece of land than the one that I'm asking for. So it sounds like a pretty good deal for Naboth. But, verse 3, Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers to you. So what we find out in verse 3 is that Naboth, even in this northern kingdom of Israel that has been given over to pagan worship uh, and has really fallen away from caring about what God thinks, is that this guy didn't. He was truly following God's words. We know this because when the the Jews, when the Israelites entered into the promised land in the book of Joshua, the promised land was broken up into sections to be owned by particular tribes. And it was never supposed to change hands to a different tribe. Anything from the tribe of the tribe of Naphtali should not be traded to the tribe of Dan. Anything from the tribe of Judah should not be given to the tribe of Benjamin. Right? The 12 tribes were supposed to keep ownership of their own land. And even if they sold or tried to work off debt with another member of their tribe in the year of Jubilee, they were supposed to be given, their debt was supposed to be forgiven and the land given back to them. So this guy was holding dearly to the covenant that was made and he refused to sell his land to a member of a different tribe because that would have gone against the covenant. And he wanted to make sure, and this is why he invokes the inheritance of my fathers, because it's meant to be to stay within that tribal line. So Ahab, what does he do? He goes into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give to you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would not eat food. So, Ahab, already, we're only four verses away from the last time he was sullen and displeased, turns into kind of a giant man baby again. And he is sulking and upset and throwing a temper tantrum because he didn't get what he wanted. I've been dealing with this a little bit at home, but my child is not quite 18 months old yet. So she has a reason to throw temper tantrums. Ahab does not. <laughs> Verse 5, but Jezreel, his wife, came to him and said, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. So, this is, it's really funny hearing this in my head, if you could. His wife says to him, why are you so mad? He says, because Naboth won't give me what I want, is really what he's saying. And it's just silly. It's ridiculous. But now you get to see who really is on the throne of Israel. Now, a few chapters ago, we see Elijah stand up to Ahab and all of his prophets. And he's really bold 
and he crushes and destroys the prophets. He calls down fire from heaven, kills the prophets, and says bold things to Ahab. But then when Jezebel, Ahab's wife, finds out about it and sends a message, he runs and hides. Because Jezebel is really the one who's in control of Israel at this point. So Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So now she takes matters into her own hands. And she is pretty crafty and pretty evil. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name. So she forges letters for Ahab to state that as if she's the king and sealed them with his seal. And she sent letters to the elders and nobles who were dwelling in the city of Naboth, or with Naboth. She wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people and seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. All right, so her plan is to take a person who's actually following God's words, seat him in a place of high honor, and then have two liars sit next to him and make judgments and and accusations against him to rile up the people against him and then have him stoned to death because he actually followed what God said, but he's going to be stoned to death because people believe he didn't. This is... She's just an evil person. So the men of his city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of this city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which he had sent to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel had heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard in Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you money for. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. So it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up, went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So her plan works, and they just get to absorb the land now. They just take it by force. They don't pay anything for it. Um, so she's a crafty individual. And it, if you read this story in Second Chronicles, you find out that not only was Naboth killed, but his entire family and all of his descendants were killed. They destroyed everything to make sure that they could just take the land for themselves without owing anyone. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked the blood of Naboth, dogs shall, shall lick your blood, even yours. So Elijah goes down with a message from God to Naboth, or I'm sorry, to Ahab, saying, you murdered Naboth. You took his land, you greedy, greedy king. And God is 
God has seen what's happened. Now what's going to happen to you is you're going to be destroyed. And you're going to be destroyed in the place where Naboth died. Now the interesting thing is, this doesn't happen. So Elijah makes a statement, and all of it happens except Ahab was not struck down in the place where Naboth died. And so the question is, why? How could Elijah have made a statement that doesn't completely follow through? Keep that question in your mind. So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? So that's how he addresses Elijah. You're my enemy. And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. So his response is, Elijah says, just like the kings before you, Jeroboam and Ahijah, when they, when they didn't follow God's word and when they turned the people of Israel against him and they committed great sin, God ended their line. He ended them and their line. And he's going to do the same to you because you continue to be evil. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And so it gets mentioned again that Ahab is just the worst. Jeroboam was evil. Ahab is worse. And he, be he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out of the children of Israel. So it was when Ahab heard those words he, that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Now, see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring calamity on his house. So, he doesn't die in the place of Naboth, and his family lineage doesn't end at that spot. Because for once, Ahab humbled himself before God. It is amazing how much you can escape judgment just by humbling yourself before God. Instead of trying to pretend that you're on the same playing field as he is. Or that you're the reason, or you are in control of your own destiny. Because he humbles himself before God, his judgment was pushed away. And Elijah lets him know that. 
Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. Now Jehoshaphat was a fairly decent king. He's the king of Judah in the south. And Ahab is still king up north. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of king out of the king of Syria. So he went to Jehoshaphat and said, Will you go with me to fight Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Now, this sounds like there's going to be finally some peace between the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel. And there's a reason for this, actually, because Jehoshaphat's daughter married Ahab's son. And so they're connected in this way. There's a bit of a peace treaty between them. And so Jehoshaphat gets roped into Ahab's issues. Now, Ahab was promised by the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, that Ramoth Gilead would be his after the defeat that Ahab put over the over Syria. And Ben-Hadad was worried that Ahab was going to destroy him. And instead, he he put this treaty on him and they called themselves brothers and they became peaceful with each other and he expected to have this city back in his possession because those were the terms that Ben-Hadad made. Um, but it still hasn't happened. And so now, instead of dealing with the king of Syria and, you know, acting like a king or a man, Instead, he ropes somebody else into his troubles, and he says, let me go fight him. Help me, help me fight him, Jehoshaphat. Now, verse 5, also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire a word of the Lord today. Now you get to see where Jehoshaphat, uh, now he might be naive and he might be gullible, but he's not entirely stupid. Uh, and he does at least have a heart to understand God's word. So then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together and 400 men and said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight or shall I refrain? So they said, go up for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, is there still not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So now you get a bit of an insight. He said, can we get a prophet of the Lord to tell us what to do? And Ahab calls 400 prophets not prophets of Yahweh. And they say, go, God is going to deliver, God is going to deliver them into your hand. And Jehoshaphat notices that something's up. When, when everyone is giving you the news and they just are repeating the same line, it sounds like a bit of conspiracy. Like no one's actually telling you the truth. This is actually something that's utilized in investigations with detectives. In uh, J. Warner Wallace's book, um, one of his, I can't remember which one, Person of Interest maybe, he writes about uh, being a, a cold case homicide detective and how in as he was examining the Gospels in the same way that he, he would examine witnesses in a cold case murder trial, he was looking at the Gospels to try to debunk them because he was an atheist when he started this research. And as he went through the different records of the Gospels, he realized that it was really accurate testimony. 
because you would actually expect people to have a different point of view as they experience things from different angles and from different perspectives. And so the things in the Gospels that sometimes make people go, well, that seems weird that Mark would say it this way when Matthew says it this way, or why doesn't John include this? And, you know, Those things were actually proof of concept for J. Warner Wallace because you would expect people to have different perspectives looking at it from a different physical angle, whether it's you're taller or shorter or you're standing in a different position or even just a different perspective on what you would think is more important or less important. But all of these prophets are saying the exact same thing. And they're telling Jehoshaphat the same line over and over again. Yeah, go. And he realizes this seems weird. Almost conspired. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there, well, there's still one man, Micaiah, the son of the uh, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he doesn't prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. So Ahab, his ego is off the charts. He says, well, there's one, there's one guy, Micaiah, but I, I hate him. Every time he says something to me, it's never good. So I don't want to listen to it. The problem is, every time Micaiah is talking to him, he's telling him the truth. This is a guy who refuses to hear the truth because he doesn't want to deal with constructive criticism or the fact that he is not following God. But he needs Jehoshaphat, so he indulges him. The king of Israel called an offer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, uh, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. What a what a pompous view. Sitting outside the city gate on thrones together in their royal garb. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, he had made horns of iron of him for himself. And he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And so the false prophets... They're not getting through to Jehoshaphat. He's still waiting for Micaiah. And so this guy puts on a show. And he says, maybe if I make a weird display of it. And he takes iron horns and says, you're going to spear the Syrians with these. He's really trying to make a spectacle out of this to see if he can gain Jehoshaphat's trust. And all the prophets prophesied. So saying, go up to Ramath Gilead and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him saying, now listen. The words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please, let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramath Gilead, or shall we refrain? And Micaiah answered, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Now, Micaiah promised that he would, he would reveal whatever God spoke to him. And he says, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. But something must have been amiss in the way that he sounded. Because the king said to him in verse 16, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And so he must have been flippant. 
and just was like, look, God's, he'll, God will deliver it into your hand. Go do what you want to do. And the king says, no, no, no. Tell me the truth. I know you're not telling me the truth. So Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep have no, that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would prophesy, uh, he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? So then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Now he says, hear the word of the Lord. He didn't say that before. Hear what God has to say. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. That's important. Make note of that. And on the Lord, and the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramath Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. So the Lord said to him, in what way? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of the, all of his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. So this is interesting and potent and packed with all kinds of stuff. First of all, Micaiah sees God sitting with different spiritual entities on the right hand and the left hand of God. Now, this is important because in the imagery of the right and left hand of God all throughout Scripture, you always see pretty much those on the right hand of God as blessed or honored or in heaven as good, and then those on the left are typically judged. Uh, they either suffer judgment or some sort of harsh treatment or they're wicked. That's the imagery that you get there. It's the same when Jesus is talking about the judgment of the sheep and the goats and separating them from the right and the left. It's the same in the white throne judgment at the end of Revelation. And so what you get is this glimpse that God is speaking to all of the heavenly hosts. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're all on the right side of the... They're all on God's side, right? Um, he's speaking to both good and evil. And we get an inclination of this. In, in the book of Job, you get this instance where Satan goes to the throne room of God and confronts God about Job and is asked to test Job, right? And so I think we have a misconception because we want to think of God's throne room as this place where only holy things go. But in the book of Job, you actually see Satan speak to, to God. And here, in, in 1 Kings 22, you're looking at Micaiah telling King Ahab that there's this, he has a vision of God sitting on his throne with entities on his left and his right. And the left hand of God is often spoken of as the side of judgment and wickedness. And one of these spirits comes forward and says that he's willing to lie to put a lying spirit into all of the prophets for Ahab and lie to him and convince him to go into battle so that he'll fall at Ramath Gilead. Now, Zedekiah, the son of Chaanah, 
went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? So he's mad and he strikes Micaiah because he's thinking, you're telling me that a lying spirit was given to me to lie to Ahab to make the king fall. I was told, I prophesied that God was going to deliver Ramoth Gilead into the hands of Ahab and Jehoshaphat. And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go to an inner chamber to hide. He's saying, you're going to be, your, your bravado is going away, buddy. Because when God brings down judgment, you're going to be hiding. So the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of of affliction and with water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. Micaiah, (laughs) this is bold. The king says to put Micaiah in jail. And Micaiah's response is, you can't tell them to put me in jail until you return because you're not returning. I've already told you, you're falling at Ramoth Gilead. You're going to die. So he's pretty bold. But is he wrong? I guess we'll find out. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you put on your robe so that the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. So this is, Ahab is just, he's the worst. He says to his supposed ally from the southern kingdom, King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, he says, here, why don't you do me a favor? Since we got this negative word from Micaiah, I don't want to die. How about you dress like me when we go into battle and I'll hide and pretend to just be one of the soldiers to keep myself safe? Because obviously, when you go into battle, if someone's dressed like the king, you take out the head of the snake, you win the war. So now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. Well, there you go. Ben-Hadad is telling the king of Syria, is saying, okay, we have one goal. The bullseye is the king. That's the only thing you aim for. And Ahab is trying to convince Jehoshaphat to play the role of Ahab, to pretend to be the king of northern Israel. He is, he's just evil. He's the worst. So this is what happens. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore, they turned aside to fight against him and Jehoshaphat cried out. Now, the thing about Jehoshaphat is he actually cared about what God said. He was naive and gullible uh, and he ended up falling for the lying prophets and he ended up helping out his his family, his in-laws, with the northern king. And he even fell for the, he was even gullible enough to dress like Ahab and fall for his trick. But now when it all becomes clear to him and he sees that the army is coming after him, he cries out. He cries out to God. And he's someone who has honored God fairly well in the southern kingdom. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. So as he's crying out to God, by the way, that was probably a dead giveaway. 
when Jehoshaphat is crying out to God, they're like, that can't be Ahab. He's not a worshiper of God. And they realize it's not him. Now, a certain man drew a bow at random. So this is key, right? Some guy from Syria, apparently he's got an extra arrow that he just needs to fire. He says, so a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle for I am wounded. This is even just more of like God is going to be right. So some soldier has an arrow that for some reason he just wants to shoot and says, I'm just going to shoot this. And it somehow strikes the small area between the different joints of the armor to hit Ahab. And he wasn't even aiming. The battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went through the army saying, every man to his city and every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up the blood while the harlots bathed, according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did in the ivory house which he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers. Then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So now you see that the part of the prophecy that still came true, and it was spoken, repeated by Micaiah, really. And the, blood's lick, the, the blood was licked up by dogs, and which is a huge just uh, embarrassment for someone of royalty in Israel. That was a pretty mean thing to call someone a dog. Just real derogatory term. Uh, and the fact that dogs licked up his blood, someone of royalty, and they had to take him to Samaria. It was, just, it was all the embarrassment and humiliation uh, that was prophesied about him because of the way that he had turned against God. Now you get a bit of a, a quick, we're going to read through this pretty quickly, the rest of this chapter, because um, it just it covers a whole lot without a lot of detail. Jehoshaphat, the son of, a- of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifice and burned incense in the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat that might uh, the might that he showed and how he made war, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And the rest of the perverted perf- persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. There was no, there was then no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. Jehoshaphat made merchant ships go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geber. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said, Jehoshaphat, let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. So what you've got is Jehoshaphat was a pretty good king. He did a lot of good things. Um, He banished people from the kingdom who worshipped false gods. 
uh, and who led people astray, but he didn't tear down the temples to the false gods or the idols in the high places. Um, and he stood by his guns in not allowing Ahaziah, Ahab's son, to bring him into another catastrophe. Um, and then he has a son. That's what you get from that. Now, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father, in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, it's interesting that they actually mention his mother because Jezebel is the worst. I mean, she's worse than Ahab. She really controlled things and made things bad, and she's even mentioned specifically here. Who made Israel sin? For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all his father had done. And that is the conclusion of First Kings. But there's some interesting things in here. One, that as we kind of recap the last two chapters, one thing is Ahab, as evil as he was, which it even tells us that he was more evil than the kings who preceded him, which were pretty evil was given mercy because he humbled himself before God. And judgment was delayed on him because he humbled himself before God. Of course, then he goes and he makes silly mistakes and refuses to listen to God's word and to Micaiah, and he gets himself caught up in the same pattern that he had before. But his original judgment was delayed, and he's able to have a descendant on the throne because of God's mercy, because he was willing to humble himself. And so there's one principle, right? If you humble yourself before God, you can avoid judgment by God because if you recognize him as the Lord, you can avoid judgment. Uh, another thing was all of the prophets shouting the same thing back at Ahab and Jehoshaphat, which Micaiah showed them was a lie. But even Jehoshaphat, someone who followed God, was unable to recognize the truth because of the onslaught of lie, even though the lie was the same thing repeated over and over and over again. Now, that is heavily recognizable in the society we live in today. In fact, it's, it's interesting to me, there's this company that uh, they will take clips from all of the different news sources and package them together for like five to ten minutes of all of the different networks and different anchors on the networks over all of the times repeating the exact same thing over and over and over again. Why? Because it's obvious there's no nuance. It's just a narrative. These prophets were constructing a narrative because they wanted to have high position in the land because they whatever they could do to stoke the ego of the king made them more profitable. It's the same thing. It makes you more profitable to stoke the narrative of the people in power. And then when there's a contradictory there's a contradictory news item that has proof you get labeled as the crazy person. And that that's how it goes today. And it, the the point is human nature hasn't changed. And human nature still seeks power and greed and profitability and how we can work our way up the ladder rather than morality. 
or rather than what is God actually telling us. And so things haven't changed today, just like it was back then. But, to reiterate the first point, we can humble ourselves before God. Then, we can avoid that judgment. And we can be on the right side. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this book and for going into all of this history, for telling us about the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, and for not skipping over the messy parts, not washing it over to make it seem like it's something that it wasn't. You give us real characters and real people with real history so that we can understand our own human nature and how much our human nature makes us need you because you are the only cure for our sin problem. God, help us to be humble before you and to repent and to rely on your goodness rather than inflating our own ego and what we think is our goodness. God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.